Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. About a month ago, the billionaire tech executive and philanthropist Robert F. Smith presented the commencement address at Morehouse College. He told them at that time that to the almost 400 graduates, he would be paying off their entire student loan debt. It would run into the tens of millions of dollars. As you can imagine, there was a moment of stunned silence and then jubilation. Chants of MVP, MVP were heard from the graduating class. Unfortunately, <laughs> Robert Smith couldn't be here today. So you got me. Hold your applause. I don't have a billion dollars to pay off your student loan debt. If I did, I would. If you want your student loan debt paid off, may, well, never mind. <laughs> but I do have this. I do have a spiritual gem to offer you. To offer you as you stand on the threshold to the new phase in your life. As I try to put myself back into these moments of transition in my own life and Try to think of what you might be feeling. I can imagine that there is, besides the excitement, some sense of uncertainty and fear for what lies out there. The world can be a dark place, scary place, a threatening place. So what can be said at a time like this? Some time ago I read some words that I want to share with you. They were penned by the the theologian, former seminary president, author, pastor, and professor, James Emery White. This is what White writes. Medieval cartographers, that is map makers, sketched the phrase, Ix sunt dragonis, translated, there be dragons, on the edges of their maps. Those three words were used by the medieval cartographer of the famed Lenox Globe from the early 1500s to describe the outer boundaries where knowledge ended and speculation began. After drawing on all of his knowledge, the map maker could only write those three provocative words to convey that these areas were at best unexplored and at worst perilous. Now, there is some difference of opinion among historians and historians of cartography as to how many times that image appeared. But all are agreed it was there on the famed Lenox Globe. 
What were the words that White wrote? Those three provocative words convey that these areas were at best unexplored and at worst perilous. One more quote from Robinson Meyer, who writing for TheAtlantic.com says, those famous words served as a warning to the map's original users and a kind of flourish from the map's artisan makers. To us, they seem to comment both on the travails of the terrain, we don't know what's here, and about the dangers of ignorance. There might as well be dragons in this unknown spot. So as you walk out of this sanctuary today, as you march out in the recessional tomorrow, just know that out there, eek, sunt, dragonis, <laughs> there be dragons. So what to say? I want to take you to a psalm, a psalm from the ancient hymn book of Israel. It's Psalm 27. But before I read you the psalm, I want to take a moment to set the terrain just a bit so that as we read through the psalm, it will make more sense. It has three basic sections. You will notice that the psalmist opens with great confidence. No fear here. The Lord is my light. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my strength. Who can cause me to fear? And he follows in that fashion for the coming verses. It's, it's a section of strength and confidence. God has been with me. I don't care what's out there. I've got it. But then after verse 6, the mood shifts. The feeling changes. In fact, it is such a dramatic change that some scholars, as they study this psalm, say, this must have been two psalms to begin with, and some ancient scribe joined them together. But other scholars say, no, the language and all that is within the psalm ties it together. There is just a shift in feeling. So what's the feeling of the second part? This feeling is much more tentative. Now the psalmist begins to pray. Coming from that great confidence, now the psalmist is praying, Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Please don't forget me. Even if my parents forget me, you don't forget me. Please. It's very tentative. And then the final two verses form the third part. Brief, but reflective and meditative. A call upon the reader of the psalm, along with he himself, to wait on the Lord. So with that in place, knowing what the terrain is, let's read Psalm 27. Starting with verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. 
now shift. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. And one final shift. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. As I studied this psalm this week, it struck me. It's almost as though the psalmist has donned academic regalia and slipped into the line unrecognized back there and marched down with the processional music and is now sitting somewhere in the, uh, in the pews. He's had these accomplishments. And so he starts out thinking as you think over the recent two or three or four years and all of the accomplishments. You're here. You did it with all of the challenges, the late nights, the rigorous academic papers, the tests, everything that you've gone through, but you've made it. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's thinking that, and maybe you're thinking that. But then the service ends. The recessional music plays. You file down the aisle along with the psalmist and you see a little sign that says, Ik sunt dragones. And the psalmist changed and maybe you will as well. Oh Lord, be with me. You start to think. He starts to think. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? I, I, I've got a student loan debt the size of the GDP of a small country. Where's Robert Smith when I need him? You begin to think, I've got to get a job. I, I've got to pass boards. What if I don't pass the upcoming sitting of the boards? Then what am I going to do? Oh, God, please don't forget me. And my parents, they'll forget me when it comes to my student loan debt, but you, Lord, please don't forget me. <laughs> and he walks away from this service pleading for the presence of God. You get back to your room. He gets back to his room. Begins to pack belongings for the upcoming move. And now with a mixture of celebration and reflection, joy and apprehension, he says, but I believe. I will see the Lord in the land of the living. So just wait patiently, my soul. Wait for the Lord. That's Psalm 27. You see, the psalmist's experience is yours. Your experience is his. It's the entire experience of life. The confidence and the fear. The waiting on the Lord. But in the context of that psalm, I want to point you back to one verse. 
I want to reread this verse. It's the very first verse of Psalm 27. Because here in this verse, in Psalm 27, 1, the psalmist points us to three affirmations that will guide us through the entire experience and may be able to guide you. So Psalm 27, 1, once more, says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Three affirmations. First of all, he says, the Lord is my light. The Lord can be your light. This is the only place in the Old Testament Scriptures when in speaking of God, he is spoken of as my light. In a dark world, in a dark time, in a dark place, it's an affirmation that you are not alone. The darkness creates fear to some level in many people, if not most of us, and terror in some. I read, read of a little boy afraid of the dark. Little Johnny was afraid to go outside at night. One evening, it was dark outside. Mom was working in the kitchen. She said, Johnny, hand me the broom. It's out in the patio. He said, but it's dark out there, Mommy. I know it's dark, but just get... Mommy, it's dark out there. She said, Jesus is out there. He'll be with you. I read that Johnny went to the door and cracked it open and looked out and said... Jesus, Jesus, are you out there? If you are, please hand me the broom. <laughs> there are some experiences in, in life where that could have been me. Frightened because of the darkness that descends upon every life at some point in time. A darkness as you move through that experience of Psalm 27 at times will come in the days ahead. But when it comes, never forget the affirmation the psalmist makes, the Lord is my light. He makes a second affirmation. Not only the Lord is my light, but secondly, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord can be your salvation for any of those experiences in life where you feel lost, emotionally lost, professionally lost, spiritually lost, where there is uncertainty as to where to turn, where to go, what fork in the road to take, the affirmation of the psalmist is strong. The Lord is my salvation. It was Officer Aaron Hoopi. Aaron Hoopi, who was there that day not far from the Pentagon, the day that jet hurtled explosively into the Pentagon. The fire raged. The responders came as quickly as they could. But Hoopi thought, I've got to do something. And so with no mask, with no fire jacket, without even a handkerchief with which to cover his mouth, he raced toward to go into the building to the shouts and the cries behind him, Stop! Don't go in there! But hope, he said to himself, there are people in there. I have to help. He went into that dark, cavernous space. And he began to cry out, is anybody in here? Is anybody in here? 
choking smoke. Wayne Sinclair and five of his co-workers were there. In the explosion and in the aftermath, they had totally lost any sense of direction. But now they begin to cry out, we're here, we're here. And Hoopi just kept shouting to them, come to my voice, come to the sound of my voice, come to the sound of my voice. And slowly but surely, these who very likely would have perished found the way to life and salvation by the voice. Here in the psalm, the psalmist says, the Lord is my salvation. That same Lord of whom the psalmist speaks here in the Old Testament will speak in the New Testament and will say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. There will be days ahead when the dragons of lostness will threaten you, will surround you, will threaten to cut you off from any sense of hope and a future. When they do, follow the voice. The Lord is my salvation. Three affirmations he makes for a world about which it can be said, eek sunt dragones, there be dragons. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And then he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. The stronghold. Put him in his world and it makes great sense. In the world in which the psalmist lived and wrote, to get inside of a walled city meant protection. To get inside of a fortress or a stronghold was about as secure as one could be. Here in the psalm, he is writing to people, no doubt, who have felt fear, writing to those situations when he himself has felt fear, has needed protection. And he makes the affirmation, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord can be the stronghold of your life. But we have to understand clearly, candidly, what that means. We want it to mean physical protection. For reasons known only to God, on occasions it does, but not always. In fact, a missionary from the Southern Baptist Missionary Alliance, Lynetta Thompson, tells of people asking her. She was working in a country where there was great threat, she was returning, and she noted that people kept saying things to her like, you're really going to have to depend on the protection of God. That's the only way you can go there. I would never go there. Having been a missionary before, finally Thompson spoke up and she said, you know what? I could take you to the grave of a 15-year-old child of missionaries dead from hepatitis. I could take you to the grave of a four-year-old child of missionaries dead from malaria. If I were going dependent on the protection of God for my physical well-being, I wouldn't go. 
But what I do is surrender my life to his care and keeping and know that I have his spiritual care and his eternal protection. That's true to Scripture. It can be a paradoxical reality, a paradoxical reality underlined by the great late A.W. Tozer, died back in the early 1960s, but penned many profound words. None may be more profound than these. Tozer wrote, A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme for one whom he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst, he dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. The paradoxical realities of the disciple world of Jesus. So when the psalmist says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, you must understand that he has you in the grip of his grace, that your eternity is secure with him. But you may have to depend on his presence and promise when the dragons threaten. Doesn't promise that without fail here. So you stand on the verge of the next phase of your life. No doubt some uncertainty, some recognition that at times the world can be dark and lost and dangerous. And yet the psalmist speaks to you. He speaks to you and says, despite the facts that there are dragons, we have a God a God who in your darkness can be your light, in your lostness can be your salvation, in your peril can be the stronghold to whom you run. You know, I read. I read that there were other images on maps in the ancient world. That not only were there those maps or those globes where the cartographer had traced the outlines of a dragon, but there were maps with another image. For example, the Psalter map of the 1500s, called the Psalter map because it was printed into the Psalms, has another image right at the top of the map. And that image, well, in order to capture the strength of that image, I have to tell you about a man named Larry Bird. Larry Bird is a name familiar even to those who may not be basketball fans. One of the greats who played the game of basketball, who upon his retirement ceremony in the Boston Garden, had his coach, Casey Jones, tell a story about Bird. Coach Jones told of one of those games where the game was on the line, things were tense, they had called a timeout, and the team was huddled around the coach. Jones said, I had diagrammed a play that we were going to run. And as soon as I finished, Larry said to me, just give me the ball and get everyone out of the way. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, I'm the coach. I call the plays. And then I looked back at the team and I said, 
Just give Larry the ball and get out of the way. <laughs> that image at the top of the map, on the Psalter map, with the dragons drawn all across the bottom, is the image of Jesus, your Lord, Christ, Christus Imperator, your light, your salvation, your stronghold. So it might not be a bad idea to get certain things like ego and selfishness and self-protection out of the way and just turn your life over to Jesus. Because when you do that and stay out of his way, of whom? Of whom? Of whom are you going to be afraid?